The scripture this morning is from Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has hears, let them hear. Thank you, Ruby, for reading and the team for leading. Good morning, everyone. So I want you to try and think back to when last you wore leopard print. And yes, you heard that correctly. Uh, I want you to kind of, when was the last time you wore leopard print? If you are wearing leopard print this morning, this is a judgment-free zone, so please don't feel condemned. I am not in the habit of wearing leopard print clothing. Uh, it's just something that's never really taken off for me. So imagine the scene when last night I found myself at a birthday party along with my wife where the theme was leopard print. And you would not be allowed into the party unless you were wearing an article of clothing that was leopard print. I had to go and buy. I ended up buying a scarf. I figured if I'm wearing leopard print, nobody's going to judge me for wearing a woman's scarf that is leopard print and and had that on. Cindy and I were at a party last night for a, a set of twins that was celebrating their 40th birthday. Uh, and so they went all out. The house was overrun by people. Uh, they had taken sort of the living room area, taken all the furniture out of that living room, and there was a live band in the living room. As we were walking up to the house, Cindy and I suddenly realized, wait a minute, we don't actually, you know, we know the street, we know more or less, we don't know what number it is. And we figured, well, maybe we'll see something. We didn't need to worry, we could hear something as we approached the house, as this band was blaring out tunes for the whole street to enjoy uh, and the house, as I said, overrun. Twins, they've got lots of friends, know lots of people, and this party was pumping. Uh, and, and, you know, we're just having a blast. Loud music. Now, I know you're kind of wondering how I could end up in a party like that. Uh, these were fellow parents, largely from White Rock Christian Academy, so it wasn't too debauched, other than wearing leopard print. But you know what was amazing for me? And this is the, the kind of the focus of my story 
is in the midst of this loud party with good food spread out in multiple rooms where people could kind of just walk through and graze while talking and laughing and eating and drinking and celebrating together. I got chatting with this guy, and as we were talking, uh, it, it soon became clear to both of us that we're both in ministry. We're both involved in church work. And, and we just had this totally open, honest, raw conversation in the middle of this raucous party. We were basically shouting at each other, it was that loud, but we were shouting in love, so it was just awesome. But as we shared with one another and as we kind of just connected and resonated, it was totally natural at the sort of ending of our conversation for him to say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you guys? And Cindy and I were like, of course. And so there we are with the music blaring, people eating and drinking and laughing and talking, three of us in a little holy huddle praying Together, I can only imagine what some others may have thought looking over and seeing, you know, three people, heads bowed, kind of just, you know. Uh, but it was, it was awesome. For me, it was a reminder that nowhere is exempt from the presence of God. Nowhere is exempt from God to move and work and do what only He can do in people's lives. It was completely natural and normal for us to, in that place, call on God, and to lift each other up before the Lord. I walked away as well thinking to myself, how incredible that even with all that noise, here was someone who could hear the prompting of God and who could naturally respond to that prompt. So why do I share the story? Why do I begin with this? Well, over the next couple of weeks, we are starting a series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. We're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And for many of us, most of those parables, we've heard them countless times. We've read them countless times. We probably know what they're all about even before the preacher starts talking. And we know where he's going to go with that or where she's going to end up and conclude on that. But what I'm hoping and what we as a pastoral team are hoping is that as we go through the greatest stories ever told, we will start to realize that sometimes it really is just the simple stories that need to be shared. And so even as I share a simple story of what God did in my life at a party, I know that's encouraged some of you. And my prayer, our prayer is as we go through these parables so well known, that again there's simplicity would impact you, and that you would be changed for having heard these stories. If I can stick with that theme of the party, you and I are metaphorically in the midst of a very loud party happening all around us. It might not look or sound like a party, but there's all this noise. And I want to challenge you and remind you that Jesus Christ is still speaking, and he is still speaking to each one of us, and he invites us to listen out And to hear him. We started in the parable of the sower from Matthew 13 verses 3 to 9. We read it a moment ago. It's one of very few that Jesus actually interprets for his disciples. And I'm going to get there in a moment. But before we read the parable and before we read the interpretation, I need to point out two things from within this. 
And there are a number of other things that would be awesome to point out. There'd be a number of other little interesting bits of information that will come out over the next few weeks. For now, as we look at this parable, I want to look at what Jesus concludes with in talking about this or saying this. In verse 9, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And of course, we kind of go, what on earth does that mean? And we've heard you, Jesus. The people who, who were there heard the story. Well, it's quite clear. Jesus is not simply talking about, have you heard the voice? Have you heard the noise? Have you heard the words? What Jesus is saying is, stop. If you have ears to hear, then rarely listen to what I'm saying. Because there is a richness. There is a depth. And so even though it might seem like a little trivial story or this quaint little story that connects with what's happening around us, there's a far deeper meaning. There's a truth to this. And Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. As in, listen to the story. Don't just go with the ordinary surface, delve into it, dive into it. Find out what I am saying. You know, if you continue reading in Matthew chapter 13, just after that parable, uh, the disciples come along and ask Jesus, kind of, why are you talking in parables? What's up with all these stories? Can't you just tell us directly? And Jesus answers to that. And Jesus says, basically, whoever has, to that person more will be given. And whoever doesn't have, well, even what they don't have will be taken away from him. And again, he's answering this parable almost in a parable sense. Because I'm sure his disciples walked away going, well, what on earth does that mean? And basically what Jesus is saying is not everyone who is following, not everyone who is here listening is actually here to hear. They're here to see. They're here to experience. They're here because the crowds are here. And so I'm going to speak in parables so that those with whom this connects and resonates will want to go deeper and will want to go further and will want to seek out an understanding. And as we begin a series for the next couple of weeks looking at the various parables of Jesus, that is my challenge to each of you, that you would pray and say, God, would you give me a hunger to know what this means? Give me a desire to seek out the meaning, the truth, what you would have me understand, and then what you would have me do in response to this. In fact, that's the litmus test. If as you come to the parables, you say to yourself, oh, I I, I know this, let's just move on and find something else. Perhaps that's where you're in the wrong place. Really, we should be coming and saying, Lord, what will you say to me from this? What can I learn from this passage? Teach me. And so Jesus says, those who really seek to understand are those who will ultimately understand because they will dig deeper in. Jesus says to his own disciples, blessed are you because you hear this and you see this. So Jesus tells the parable that we've read this morning and then he interprets it. If you have your Bibles, it's not going to be up on the the top there. You can use your phone. If you've got the Bible app, you can use the Bible in front of you. I would encourage you to look at something so you can see it in the context. Jesus interprets this parable as his disciples come to him and ask him. And so in Matthew 13, verse 18, he says this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When people hear the message about the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to the people who hear the word and understand it. They produce a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I've often wondered, why is it some people seem to hear the word of God and embrace it openly? Some people hear the grace, the message of salvation, and they're drawn to it and they receive it and it it changes their lives. Or why is it that as I read through scripture, God uses these stories and metaphors and speaks of at some point separating those who came to him and those who are righteous and those who received from those who reject? Why does God allow this to happen? Even when the Bible says God desires that all might be saved, yet there are still those who reject him. Why does that happen? And so Jesus uses this parable to talk about people's varying receptivity to God's word. It's this earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. You know, Jesus really was the master teacher. He understood how to grab people's attention. You know, every now and then when I'm preaching, uh, I know it never happens here. It's when I'm preaching elsewhere, I'll see people kind of falling asleep or, or glazing over. And I know that if I share a story, people will connect and they'll kind of liven up. Hey, this is a personal story. This past week, I was speaking at the White Rock Christian Academy band camp for grade six to eight. And let me tell you, you guys are a lot easier to talk to than grade six to eights. Because when you're disinterested, you're polite and quiet. Grade six, not so much. And I knew that in order to engage with the grade sixes and the eights, I needed stories. I needed visual pictures with them. In fact, I spoke from John chapter 15 of Jesus being the vine and we are the branches. And if we're not connected to him, we can't produce fruit. And so I pulled out a bunch of grapes and that got them all focused. And of course, they're grade sixes. They all want the grapes. And so I'm talking, and then eventually I hand the grapes, and they're pulling out the grapes, and they're holding their grapes, and I got them to contemplate and think about and eat eventually those grapes. Jesus understood this. And so Jesus shares stories from everyday life and connects with the audience and connects with the crowd. Jesus speaks so often about stories that relate to farming or relate to the earth because he lived in an agrarian society. And so in this story, Jesus talks about different soil. He talks about seed, and it's an image that immediately would have understood about seed. Because many people in that day would have sown seed quite regularly. And often the way it was done was a plot of land would be plowed. And land was, wasn't like this perfectly piece of 
perfect great soil. It had all sorts of things and it had these paths around for them to walk on and those would be hard and flat and obviously there would be little portions of stone and so the farmer would do his best to, to plow that land and then he would have a little sack on his hip which would be filled with seed and the farmer would take the seed and just scatter it indiscriminately around this whole field and in fact would then plow again hoping that some soil would cover over. And so Jesus shares this image. And there's a parallel version in both Mark chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 8. And in those parallels, we understand that the seed is the word of God. It's the scripture. It's God's word to his people. And so Jesus in this picture has this illustration of a farmer taking the word and sowing it indiscriminately, spraying it across the field. And in it... He speaks of four different soils. That's what I want to focus on for a little bit this morning. The first soil might be likened to those who are not yet Christian. Or or maybe they're a superficial Christian. The seed on the path in verse 4 and then interpreted in verse 19. It's the seed that's eaten up by birds, represents Satan or the evil one. In Jesus' day, fields were surrounded by walking paths, and those paths would get hard, and they would get baked in the sun, and seed would never settle into it. It would just rest on top. And so this image just resonates because, yes, the birds would flock around the field, and as soon as there was seed lying open, they would snatch it and take it away. And Jesus says in verse 19, these are the people who have hard hearts. When they hear the word of God, it does not penetrate. It means nothing to them. They are disinterested in what they hear. They will not engage with the message of the kingdom. And because they will not engage with it, they will not understand it. And it is taken away. They're superficial. Perhaps Christian on the surface or Christian in name, but but there is no depth. And there certainly is no life because the seed does not even Take root. Jesus then goes on in verse 5 and 6, and he talks about the shallow rocky soil, interprets in verse 20. And this might be the shallow Christian. This is the seed that lands and it germinates and it does take root. But the ground is shallow. There's not enough depth for root to actually take purchase. And there's not enough depth for that root to thrive into a living plant. A plant that bears fruit. You know, the shallow Christian or, or those who are of shallow soil are those who focus on the good times and good life. And then when trouble comes along, they're, they're derailed and they fall away. Suffering and persecution, they, they don't want to hear about that. Because surely Jesus doesn't mean that. Even though the Bible says, blessed are those who suffer and are persecuted for righteousness sake. Shallow Christianity cannot handle this truth. Jesus interprets this in verse 20 and 21. These are the people who embrace Christianity with great fanfare. They they embrace the word, but they're, they're emotional and superficial. Their commitment withers away. In fact, John speaks about this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. And he says, they went out from us, but because they did not really belong to us, For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. 
You know, in, in my years in ministry as a pastor, I celebrate, I rejoice when someone comes and says, Brian, I've, I've made a commitment to Jesus Christ and I want to show that publicly through the act of baptism. And, and again, I praise God and I rejoice and I walk with them through that. And I don't judge anybody's eternal state because that's not my place, that's God's. But I'm sad to say that I've seen many people go through that and quite soon afterwards fall away. They were shallow Christians. Jesus goes on with the third piece of soil in Matthew chapter 7. And these are the anxious, uh, those who are deceived by wealth. Uh, we, we hear about the thorns that cause the kingdom to be choked out of people. It's the anxiety of life. It's when we go through those deep experiences. Many of you know that Cindy and I and the family are here in Canada on work permits. As foreigners, we have to go through that process. And we had to renew and, and uh, kind of extend the permits. It's just part of the process. It's normal bureaucracy. You get that everywhere. But there had been a small challenge with our initial application. And so in July, we got a letter back from the Canadian Immigration, Refugee, and Citizenship Office that said our application had been rejected. And our status is valid until the 5th of September. Basically, between the lines, you need to leave. And of course, we we stressed and we panicked. And we got processing and going through and we got some people involved and, and God opened up the door to, I mean, I kid you not, an email went to the Minister of Immigration in Ottawa to help sort out some of our problem. It's amazing who God knows and how high up he can really connect and touch. Our status was valid until the 5th of September, which means everything needed to be filed by midnight, the 5th of September. We didn't know that. We thought it was the 4th of September. And on the 4th of September, our lawyer's paralegal assistant worked until 12.30 a.m. the following morning, the 5th. Cindy and I were sitting at my computer, clicking refresh, check mail, refresh, check mail at 11 o'clock at night, praying, Lord, what's going on? We cannot hear, we cannot see. And, and, and there was a point where I went outside and I was just standing there with my glass of water and 11 30 at night and I'm praying, Lord, what is going on? Why? It just doesn't make any sense. Cindy and I were anxious in that moment. But our anxiety did not destroy our faith. Because even there, we said, God, you're in control. Come what may, we know that you have this. And I know you're all wondering what happened. Our application got put in, and now we just wait for Justin to decide whether we can stay or not. But this is what Jesus talks about. The chokes, the thorns that choke the life out of us. Anxiety, concerns, cares. Not only those, but also the the trappings of wealth. You know, as I chatted with that guy at the party last night, he was sharing about having just returned from some mission work in India. And he was really passionate about doing some more work and going back. And, but he couldn't understand why God was leading him back here. He didn't want to actually be here. But as, as we chatted, as we engaged, he understood that, yes, there are needs for Christ everywhere. And even here in Vancouver. Because there are many who are afflicted by affluence. You heard that correctly. Afflicted 
by affluence. We think we don't need Jesus because we have wealth. We don't need God to intervene because we can pay our way out of it. And so Jesus says those who fall into that category, the word doesn't take root or the word doesn't grow to full fruit and full maturity because either we're derailed by our wealth or we're derailed by our anxiety, the distractions of this world. Kind of reminds me of a young woman who received a proposal from her boyfriend. And he kind of said to her, as any young boyfriend would, he said, baby, I want you to know I love you more than anything else, and I I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You just need to know that I'm not wealthy. I don't come from a rich family. I don't drive a Porsche uh, like Johnny Brown down the road, but I love you with all my heart. And so she thought for a moment or two and said, you know, I love you too, but can you tell me a bit more about Johnny Brown? Jesus says, don't be that soil. Don't be the soil that is consumed with the anxiety of life. Don't be the soil that is consumed with wealth because you will not grow to maturity. And then Jesus finishes off with the soil, the soil that brings forth fruit and brings forth a harvest in verse 8. This is good soil that causes the seed of the word of the kingdom to grow. You know, what what I find fascinating about this whole parable is as Jesus describes the different soil types and the different kind of people who will receive the word of God, he doesn't actually explain why this soil is so fruitful and why this soil is so good. It it kind of has this this God-given ability and, and Jesus leaves it at that. It's soil that is able to bring forth fruit. In fact, it's the opposite of the soil that John the Baptist chastises in the Pharisees. Remember, John the Baptist says to the Pharisees, keep fruit in line with repentance or bear fruit that reveals repentance. If you repent, if you are of God, if you are real, then there should be evidence to that. And Jesus says there is the soil, the soil that is fertile, Those who embrace the word of God, who receive it gladly and then respond to it, it's them who bring forth a hundredfold or sixtyfold or thirtyfold. Maybe I need to pause here for a moment. And I need to ask you, what is the condition of the soil in your heart? I'm not asking how much is it bringing forth. I love the fact that Jesus kind of gives these varying categories. Some will be 100, some will be 60, some will be 30. It doesn't matter. There's just, there's going to be fruit. What is the condition of the soil in your heart? Because I think that's where we need to land. We need to say, God, help me become like that soil. Help me be the soil that receives the word and brings forth a harvest. And if you don't, If you're sitting right now kind of contemplating what you're going to be doing this afternoon or maybe the big plans for this coming week or maybe some big sports match that you're really pumped on and and you just want to get out to go and watch that, can I encourage you, can I challenge you to pray? God, do a work on the soil in my heart that I might respond. You know, I know that only God can do a work on our heart. 
I'm amazed at what we've done physically nowadays. Medical science and modern science has just blown my mind with what we can do to the human heart. But yet, we need God to change us. So how do I respond to this passage? What does this passage mean for you and I? Other than the challenge of asking what my soil is and and what my heart is like, sorry. How do I respond to it? What do I do in going out and living this Christian life? Well, I think firstly, we need to learn to share the good news with everyone. I I love the, the fact that the farmer just takes that soil and he throws it everywhere. Hey. He's kind of like, wherever. If it lands and grows, awesome. If it doesn't, so be it. But I'm going to just be generous, and I'm just going to throw this indiscriminately. We need to share this gospel, this good news. As the famous quote goes, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. This was revolutionary for Jesus' day. The nation of Israel thought it was all about them. They thought that the kingdom was theirs and only for them. And Jesus comes along and says, no, take my news. Take this gospel to the furthest ends of the world because I love everyone. I tried to drum this into the grade sixes and sevens and eights this past week about how much God loves them. I asked some of the grade eights. I said, how many of you would think it really cool to like have your best friend move in and live with you for a week? And of course, they're grade eight. They're all like, that would be awesome. And most of you know that, you know, you might have some best friends and you could do a holiday with them for like three days max. But these grade eights, we'll do a week. I said, well, how about if your best friend moves in like forever? And of course, then there's a little, mm, I don't know. I like my friend, but I'm, I'm not sure. I said to them, okay, well, how about if we get the grade sixes to move in with you forever? This is the grade eights. We get the grade sixes to move in with you forever. How many of you would like that? And of course, there's resounding, no. This was a Christian camp, but I can't repeat some of the words that they said. And I had to then say to them, well, not had, I, I, I then shared with them. I said, you know, Jesus loves us. God loves us so much. He's like a grade eight who wants all the grade sixes to move in with him forever. And so he did what blows our minds in order to create that reality. He came to earth and he died for us to restore that relationship and bring us into that place. And then, of course, I turned it and I said, you grade eights are like the grade sixes. And he loves you and he wants you. This is the good news of the gospel we share. We don't need to preach three-point sermons. We don't need to answer everyone's question in every situation. We don't have all the answers. But we know the one that does. And we simply share Jesus indiscriminately. Not only, though, do we share the good news indiscriminately with everyone, we need to trust God to bring the growth I spoke about medical science doing wonders with heart surgery. I was trying to explain this to my kids the other day, uh, or to Dylan anywhere, around open open heart surgery. And and he was kind of like, wait, what? They can like cut you open and pop you open and and kind of take that out and put another one in? Like, what? How? And isn't it amazing that modern science has got to that place? 
And when I walked out into the, the foyer this morning, Dolores was all beaming and super excited because PJ had some hard work done yesterday. What, two stents, PJ? Two stents done, and here he is at church. Like, no worries. We'll just work on my heart one day and then be at church the next day. But you know what? As marvelous as medical science and modern science is, it is only God who can change the spiritual. It is only God who can change the eternal. It is only God who can bring that true spiritual growth in our lives. And we need to trust God in that. We need to pray that he will do that, but we need to trust that God will do. So we share the word indiscriminately. We trust God. And then thirdly, we need to cooperate with God. As God works in us, as he brings growth in us, you know, as we see, even those with fertile hearts, the growth is different. And by God's grace and in his infinite wisdom, he allows it to be just like that. But he does that as we respond, as we cooperate with him. I didn't share the story of last night just because it was a cool five-minute filler to start up the service. I shared it because in the midst of that happening, I know that that guy that shared with us, God was growing the fruit in his life because he responded. He felt a little prompting. Hey, Brian, Cindy, can I pray for you? I mean, it was loud. It's, it's chaotic. We're shouting at each other. And nobody would have kind of thought that he wasn't a good Christian if he didn't pray for me. He wasn't doing that to try and show us, oh, hey, you know, you're a pastor, so I've got to try and make it look like I'm a good Christian. No, he was doing it because it was totally natural for him to respond to the prompting of God and to act in obedience. And he's seeing God work in incredible ways. If you and I want to see fruits and want to see life and want to see spiritual growth in our lives, we need to be able to learn to respond and cooperate with what God is doing in our lives. And as we connect, as we allow ourselves to be transformed by God, the word of God takes root and it begins producing fruit. Max Lucado in his book, Just Like Jesus, writes these words. He says, God loves to decorate. God has to decorate. Let him live long enough in a heart and that heart will begin to change. Portraits of hurt will be replaced by landscapes of grace. Walls of anger will be demolished and shaky foundations restored. God can no more leave a life unchanged than a mother can leave her child's tear untouched. It's not enough for him to own you. He wants to change you. And he won't stop until he is finished. And he won't be finished until we've been shaped along the lines of his son. Isn't that just awesome? God wants to replace landscapes, uh, sorry, replace portraits of hurt with landscapes of grace. Walls of anger demolished, shaky foundations restored. God is slowly transforming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. My friends, you and I need to learn to share the good news of Jesus. We need to trust that he will bring the growth and we need to cooperate with him in the growth he wants to bring in us. And then we can simply marvel at the harvest that he brings in. 
Let's pray together. Lord, my God, I thank you. I thank you that you are in the business of bringing life, of bringing growth, of bringing in a harvest. And not just a miserly little harvest, but a harvest of abundance. And Father, that harvest in our lives, it brings you glory. And it brings blessing to those around who receive it. And so, Father, as we have read and heard this parable, one known so well to us, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would reawaken us to this simple yet powerful story. And that, Father, as we gather and as we bow our heads, as we contemplate, Holy Spirit, would you show us the condition of our hearts? Oh, Lord, if we are the pathway, hard, baked, oh, God, would you break that open and would you soften it again so that the seed would take root and bring forth? Lord, if we're shallow or if we're consumed by anxiety or the cares and concerns of this world, or maybe we're so focused on materialistic things and money and wealth, and, Lord, the the growth is stunted, I pray that you would open our eyes. Father, I I know, I understand from your word that in any crowd, in any gathering, there are those who are good soil and those who are not. But Lord, I know from your word, you don't want any to perish. You want all of us to experience the grace you have for us. And so I pray for each and every person here this morning. Do the work that only you can do. And then, Lord, as you do that work, help us to respond and to cooperate with you so that we would see, we would savor, and we would know that you are good and that your kingdom would be manifest in this area. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.